Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, especially Upper Deck, for this one, for providing Mike Phillips, an industry veteran. We go way back, but it was great to just sit down and concentrate one-on-one, uninterrupted. This is the portion where he was asking me questions, but kind of dueling questions. So thanks, Mike. Thanks, other sponsors, Tops and Panini, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank, Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here it is. Hope you enjoy the questions. Each one is a little bit different, and I hope you enjoy as I did. Thanks, Mike. Well, obviously, the industry has enjoyed some unprecedented growth over the last few years. It's been talked about quite a bit. Myriad reasons that we all can speculate are the reasons why. <clears throat> but as the industry has grown to the point where it is today, there are great things about it. We all dream and aspire to bring new collectors in to enjoy our hobby and our industry. What are your biggest concerns that come with the type of growth we're seeing as we move forward? There's offense and defense. We're trying to grow the hobby. You're a marketing and sales guy. We got to get more people in. And I agree, except that I just think we got to not mess up, Mike, because (laughs) we have a great story. We need to police and self-regulate to make sure that people have a good experience, the people we have, and they're going to be the ambassadors. They're going to tell their friends and they're doing that. We got to have damage control for uh, when there's the bad brush fire, we got to snuff it out. And not that we have to make it a private thing, but people need to know that this is a hobby where integrity and fairness, and uh, you can make money and have fun. So we just need to not mess up. And I think the organic growth is because I don't know that there wasn't a national campaign two, two or three years ago unless you want to call COVID the national (laughs) pandemic campaign. But people found out that sports cards, trading cards were fun, were profitable, dynamic, way more social than it was back in the day. So I think we just need to not mess up. That means taking care of our own business. Chris Carlin would always talk about the customer experience. What's the customer experience? And he's moved on, but his longtime legacy there, it's in good hands. And Upper Deck gets good marks for that. What is the customer experience? They coming in, they having a good time. Is it rewarding? Is it something they'd want to tell their friends? And when they do, we're going to have organic growth that's double digit. We don't need to double every year. In fact, but we want double digit growth every year. And if you have double digit growth, you're going to double every so many years. So I figured out that if Fanatics came in and threw a lot of marketing money at it, there's nothing wrong with that. But if their goal is to grow 25% a year, that's doubling every three years, if you do the math like that, approximately. And so then in 10 years, they get their 10x that they supposedly are out extended for. But I think 25% growth is very aggressive in any industry. Mm, Sure. It's it's meteoric to do it year after year. And so I'm more playing defense of thinking, let's not mess up. Let's make sure that everybody that we have here is having a good experience, that we're getting rid of the bad actors, plug in the leaks in some of the systems. And we've got a great story to tell. It's not just that cards are selling for record prices. Everything about the hobby is positive. Products have never been better. Innovation inside the pack, in spite of the fact that you've got single source licensees, they're still looking at each other. Upper Deck is doing great things in hockey and other things they're doing. Leaf is doing some interesting things. The Tops and Panini, all of them are trying things. They're throwing things out there. And the customers, for the most part, are saying, give us more and make it cost less, be more valuable, but cost less and make it hard for other people to get, but not me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I have often said for years and years, even back on some 
panels back in the day at the industry summit, I always use the word ecosystem. And I think this industry is certainly one big ecosystem. And when you have a fragile ecosystem, like most are, what happens in one portion of that ecosystem can really pollute the rest of it. So to your point about not messing it up, it's really important that everyone who's a part of the ecosystem take care of that because one slip up can really affect everything in this industry. Look, you can't control everything. My parents taught me that a long time ago, but you do the best to control what you can control and hope that everyone takes that same level of responsibility. That becomes more of a challenge as the industry grows, certainly as quickly as it has. And you have all these new people who quite honestly only know this industry since this uptick. That's what they know. So to a large portion of people that have come and discovered this industry, they only know it from that uptick. We've seen a little bit of a leveling off this year, and I think it's taken some people by surprise. And hopefully people learn from that, adjust and move on, and we continue to grow in a positive, healthy way. Yeah. And look, like anything else, when you have money coming into an industry and there's the opportunity for profits, you're going to have bad actors. It's going to happen in every industry. Our industry certainly has a very long storied history of that, but you're going to have that and the industry is going to have to police itself and make sure that those people can't cause too much harm. Look, I'm a fan of growth as you and everyone else, but it always brings up that issue. Like I said earlier, this industry is built on the perception of scarcity and it becomes a challenge as an industry We grow and grow. How do you protect that perception of scarcity? A lot of what is exciting people these days are low numbered parallels and things like that. How long can that continue? In the past, this industry saved itself where new things have come along to capture people's attention. Well, certainly aren't anything new, but as every year comes by, more and more parallels are introduced and that pool of low numbered parallels grows ever, ever bigger. Is that sustainable? I guess we'll see. I tend to agree with you. I'm trying to encourage people to not be too optimistic. The rose colored glasses, it's good to be optimistic, but if you're too optimistic, It's like thinking, hey, I've heard the stock market's a good place to put money. I'm going to put money in the quote unquote stock market. You have to buy stocks, sector, even if it's an ETF. There's some kind of grouping, an individual stock or a group of stocks that you're saying, I think these are the ones that will outperform the broad market, or I'm just going to be in the market. I think people need to do the same analysis for sports cards. If we just narrow it to sports, what sport, what product, what company, how am I going to collect And uh, if your goal is to be self-sustaining or actually to make money, there's day traders out there that make money in stocks, but there's also day traders out there that lose money in stocks. It's glorified gambling if you don't have an edge and you're not buying right. So buying right does not mean I just bought at what it's worth today. I have some concept of what it's going to be worth tomorrow based on the way I think things are moving and people are willing to bet on that. I'm betting that if I buy this product right now, I think I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to do better than if I bought something else. Your analogy is spot on, but what sets ours apart is you're dealing in subject matter that is fun. Fun and it's something that we all enjoy on a daily basis, regardless of the sport you watch or the TV show or movie that you enjoy. The subject matter is fun and it's ever-changing. Every year it's supplemented by new subject matter. And there's always the history. Vintage is just such a beautiful thing. It has history. When I look back at some of that stuff, it just brings me back to such a better time. It has inherent value. It has stories connected to it. What we deal in and what we collect, yes, it goes up and down in value, but it is attached to something that we all feel like we know really well and is a lot of fun. It goes up and down value, but it has value. 
whether it has as much value tomorrow as it did today or yesterday, I don't know. I've had season tickets to the Mavericks for 32 years. They cost more than $100 a ticket. I'm not going to say exactly, but they're good seats. They're more than $100 a ticket. Every time I go to a game and bring friends, I could think, instead of bringing them to this game, I could get some basketball cards for this $100. And so it makes the boxes of basketball. And I used to have hockey as well. That's the competition. It's for anything. I can keep that $100 spend it on cards or go to a game. And when I go to the game, all I've got at the end of the game is a memory. And it's a side fun. I enjoyed being with my friends. I enjoyed going to the game, but I got nothing. If I buy a box of cards for a hundred bucks or a pack these days, I still got the cards and they might go up in value. They might go down. So I just tell people it's a mixed market. There are no sure things. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things, whether you love it or hate it, social media has done. One of the things I think drives people and part of that experience you're talking about and having that tangible asset is social media allows you to show off your collection in infinite ways now. And what is the basis? Think about social media. What is the driving force behind social media? It's having the ability to show off what you have or what you're doing to so many people now, particularly Instagram, whether it's where you are or the food you're eating or your trading cards, what's the basis of collecting and basis of collecting things that are rare? Yes, there's a financial part, but it's also having something that most people don't have and a pride in having that. And now social media has opened up the ability to be able to show that to not just your friends when they come visit, but to everybody. It's very powerful. And I believe is likely the single biggest influence on what has taken this industry to the level it's at now. I agree. I look at your background behind you that I'm seeing, and I know listeners can't, but um, I just enjoy looking at it. And I have to ask, and pardon me if someone's asked this before, but what's your favorite trading card that you own and why? I don't know. I still have some cards from my dad. He had some Gaudis and some play balls. So I got those when I was 10 years old. So they have sentimental value there. And Roberto Clemente was my favorite player. My first card I ever got was 56. And it wasn't Roberto, but I have 55 Clemente. But I got so many cards now, and I've been so much in the hobby, even in the industry, that just do you gravitate toward the more valuable cards a little bit. So Clemente rookie is what I've said. I had a signed one, and that's cool. That's not easily found, but is it in a looking over on top of my head is Andre the John. There's uh, what else is on here? A Santa Claus card. I'm trying to I can't see very well. Pro set Santa Claus card? No, it's <laughs> Santa Claus card. <laughs> and is the Clemente rookie in a BGS lab? Always. always. No, <laughs> right on. Yeah. No, it's uh, yeah, everything on my wall is BGS or BVG, which is another confusion for another day. But uh, over the years, I've gotten stuff graded and it's a uniform look to it. Again, I think it's the best holder in the industry and it's been something I'm really proud of as well. Man